welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. I'm back with another amazing, amazing guest that I am so delighted to have this conversation with and for you guys to get to listen in and be part of this. So Roxanne Chaput is the founder and chief executive officer of Roxanne Chaput Limited. Roxanne is a celestial guide a celestial and generational earth shaman, quantum healer, an inspirational speaker and podcast host of Soul to Soul with Roxanne, in addition to being a life and love mentor. Roxanne, welcome. I am so thrilled that you are here today. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor. I'm happy to be here. Oh, I'm really, really glad you're here. And, you know, as I was talking with you uh, before we turned on the recording here, I was saying how one of the things I really love hearing about is like, what was your experience as like a baby empath? Like, how did you even know that you were different? How did you know, like, that you were highly sensitive? So like, let's start at the beginning. And see where we go. Absolutely. So, you know, I can remember as a small child and going into my childhood that I was always very receptive to other people's energies. I was able to feel their emotions. I was able to feel their distress. I was able to look at someone and scan them and know what was transpiring in their life, if it would be good or if they were going through something a little bit more challenging. And as a child, adults would come to me and they would seek guidance and they would come in my energy field and kind of just come for the calmness and stillness. And they would ask me for direction on their path as a young child, like adults coming to me. And my parents would always kind of refer to me as like an old soul or a wife. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I never truly understood what that meant when I was a child. I was just like, okay, like I think everybody does this. And kind of going through a bit of like my childhood, I was trying to resonate with others. I was trying to find how I was normal, you know, quote yeah. normal. And I would ask other people, like, do you feel energies? Like, do you feel other people's emotions on top of your own emotions? Like, it's overwhelming. It's not. Yes. Oh. And I would ask them, like, and I always had this profound knowingness that I was being called to serve. And I never truly understood what that envisioned, what that exactly was going to kind of unfold as, or what that was going to look like. And I would ask everyone, like, do you have these feelings? And they're like, oh no, like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And like, I like, I don't feel anyone. I don't feel other energies in the room when there's nobody there. Like I, I, I can't resonate with you. So I kind of pushed that down and I suppressed it. And I tried to like, be like everybody else and feel normal, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. I never really talked about it, you know, throughout my adolescence, because I just never clicked with anyone at a soulful level in that way that we were able to share our feelings and of the, the energy reception that we were receiving. And as I kind of went through my journey, I've experienced a lot of trials and tribulations. I experienced unhealthy relationship after unhealthy relationship, knowing that we obviously attract energy vampires. And, you know, it's just something that I miss. And there's a cycle and there's a pattern that happens with that. And I ended up going into a very unhealthy marriage where I ended up leaving with my three beautiful children. And shortly after I left that marriage, I had experienced four near-death experiences. And each part and each time that it occurred, it kind of brought me closer to my soul's mission and my soul tribe. And after the first time, I just remember thinking and feeling like I wasn't in alignment with myself. I was hiding a part of myself to the world. Everyone was always like, you know, you're such an angel. You're so kind. Like you're the nicest person I've ever met. 
And I just thought everybody received those compliments. I didn't understand that I was different, you know, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that not everybody had that kindness or that love and was able to see love in all and to be able yes. to see their soul aspect and not just their physical being and their emotional and their intellectual traumas. I was able to see, always see beyond that, their potential of what they could be. And I remember after that first near death experience, it was just like, it shook me. I was like, you know, I'm always optimistic. I'm always trying to be positive. And I always tell everybody I'm okay. And I'm happy. And that I love my life, but do I, and am I in alignment with myself? And that's when I started questioning everything because no, I wasn't in alignment with myself. I was suppressing a part of myself because there was nobody I can confide in to share those, like that journey and those feelings with, because I couldn't resonate with anyone. Yeah. Yeah. It really spearheaded me on an incredible soul and self mastery journey at that point. Well, and you were speaking about recognizing yourself as different and, you know, sometimes I'll run across people who will say everybody's an empath. And I'm like, no, no, (laughs) everybody is not an empath. And if anything, I think that like you and I are talking to the people who realize that or who recognize that they're different, you know, that, that like we come, sometimes I think it was like, we, we belong on, or we come from the Island of Misfit Toys and that experience, like there's something that is so hard when you are either believing that everybody else is having the same experience that you're having, or you're trying to fit yourself into that common experience instead of just being like, I am different. I am different. It just is true. And, and like in this, I mean, and the thing is like, nobody would ever question an NBA player for being one of the most talented people in the world. Like people would be like, yep, they just happen to be exceptional and different and very unique. But it's funny when it comes to empaths and this, you know, those of us who have that extrasensory ability, how frequently it's sort of like, oh, you're not different, you know, and, but when we really are. So just as you were speaking about that, I was really thinking about just like, that feels to me like such an incredibly important thing. And even just that part of like the claiming it for yourself. Absolutely. And just, you know, when we think about childhood and we think about our programming and our conditioning, we are never most often than not, right? I mean, some households are, but it was very rare, even, you know, 30 to 40 to 50 years ago, we were never taught how to express ourselves in our Mm -mm. soul essence. We were never taught to understand the meaning of our soul essence and that we do have incredible gifts and sensories and we are sensual beings. We were never taught this in the education system. We were never mm-hmm. taught this throughout our life because it was almost like it was stigmatized and tabooed as woo-woo. Yeah. When we needed to understand that so that we didn't feel alone and that we were able to build community and able to build a collective and understanding that everybody can feel energy. Like we are energetic beings. We are yes. all interconnected. It's just about the sensitivity of what we're able to receive and what we're transmitting throughout our being. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So going forward in the cut, co- or actually going back, I'm curious, you were saying that you had all these adults coming to you as a small or as a kid. I was like, how old were you when these people were doing that? I was five five years old. I was five years old and family, friends, uncles, like people that I would just encounter in the store would just share their entire life story with me. And my mom and my parents would always like recognize like my friends, family, everybody would always come to me for guidance and for Mm -hmm. advice, like for me to kind of help them through and work through it. My mom was always like, you should be a psychologist. You should be a social worker. You should be like a counselor. And I was like, that didn't speak true to me. That is I didn't speak to the alignment of who I was. So I was like, okay, well, if I'm not that, which she, you know, what she's suggesting, but she didn't know better. She didn't, we didn't have healers no. that, that in our communities that we spoke of in this concept of energy. It was very unspoken of. So it was very kind of challenging to direct. But yeah, ever since I was five years old, adults would come to me and it carried throughout the entirety of my life. 
Yes. Yes. Well, and I just, you were saying you've got three kids and I was just thinking, could you imagine one of your children at the age of five having total like adults and total strangers, like <laughs> coming to them and confiding their deepest, darkest secrets? Like I'm so like WTF people. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it was so funny. Cause like they'd have these conversations, but it would be like in an open thing. And they'd be like, what do you think? Like, what, what are your thoughts? Like, what, what would you do in this situation? So I was like, oh, okay. And my mom's like, you were always giving advice ever since you were a little girl, you've been mm. giving and counseling us. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. Like, it's so wild. Even at the store, like nowadays, like if I, if I start a conversation, it's like I get the whole life story, every trial and tribulation that they've went through. And it's just like, they, they just feel at ease. And I remember working at the cancer center. I was there for over 13 years and mm. a lot of our patients were palliative or end of life. And I wasn't the neuropsychologist or, you know, the social worker or psychologist of the program. I was like the patient advisor and they would come to me and they would share their whole life story with me and like have these beautiful, profound conversations and like asking them to kind of help them through that part of their journey. I was like, well, I'm not even, I'm not even specialized in this, but they always came to me. So it was just something that naturally came to me, but I thought everyone did it. I didn't know that that was something that, you know, when you, you know what you know, like, you know, your abilities, you think everybody has those abilities. Yes. Yes. Well, and they talk about that in regards to as you're growing your business, it's like the things that come most easily for you that you just assume everybody else is no, everybody else knows is usually the stuff that is going to be where you're going to absolutely shine. I just want to say I so totally relate to like people coming and just like, I, I got cornered in a bathroom at J at LaGuardia airport. <laughs> at one point by a, by a, by like an airport worker who just like, she took, she saw me and she, and she just looked in my eyes and then she just went, and just like told me her whole story. And I'm like, yeah, it happens with all kinds of people. Yeah. And my husband is like, only you, only oh. you, total strangers, like telling you their life story in the bathroom at an airport. My partner says to all the time, he's like, everywhere we go, they're always trying to get your attention, either a compliment or they want to talk to you. Like they just have that energy. They they want to be in your energy. And I said, well, I said, I don't know. I said, I thought everybody, I don't know. I don't know any different than that. That's what right. we know. Right? It is it's what we know. know. Exactly. Exactly. So you also mentioned four near-death experiences and I mean that is just an amazing and also that experience of like that moment of like that first experience and going I am not living an aligned life I am not on I'm not fulfilling my mission my destiny so I mean I'm curious like near-death experience were you in an accident was it a health crisis like what happened how yeah. did this like what led up to where and were there were there like was it a a course correction like was it the universe sort of being like you are on the wrong track and we're just going to pick you up and move you in the right direction like say more and how old were you and that like, it, it always is right it always yeah. is that course correction i believe when the universe interferes it's time to really listen <laughs> yes i agree completely <laughs> otherwise they're gonna double down and they're gonna keep upping the ante and it's gonna get really intense <laughs> maybe drive you over a cliff right yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's what happened Our, my first near-death experience i was in my 30s and we were driving, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to bring it all the way back and rewind it all the way back so people can really understand the story. So yeah. a family, a friend of mine that was one of my dearest friends had passed away and I had maintained a relationship with his family because I loved them so much. They were just amazing people. And even though my friend had passed away, I tried to stay very close to the family and they had another son and the dad uh, really loved to like do adventures and go skiing and all those incredible things. But his, his wife wasn't like, she wasn't able to, because she had her own injuries that she wasn't able to. So he had invited me on this skiing trip and I was like, yes, absolutely. I would love to go skiing. And the night before we were about to go, it was like a massive snowstorm here in Canada. And I mean, snowstorm, like there's like two, three feet of snow on the ground. 
And this feeling came to me about two in the morning and it was like, don't go. My intuition mm-hmm. and I said, don't go. And I usually always listen. I always, always listen. And I know why I listen. And I was like, don't go. I'm like, oh, like then my ego came in, in the loyalty, you know, and the integrity part. And it was like, no, I can't, I can't let someone down. Right. I can't tell somebody that I'm going to do something with them and then not show up. That is not my character. So, you know, I discredited the feeling and I ended up going anyway. And I remember waking up in the morning and we were going to drive my vehicle to this ski resort and he had never driven my vehicle before. And I have this beautiful and like angelic pendulum that was gifted to me by one of my patients at the cancer center when she passed. And I've had it in my rear view mirror ever since, like ever since she had gifted it to me. And I touched my angel. And every time I touch my angel, I usually receive like a positive response back. Like everything is good, safe travels, whatever. And I had, I had grabbed her and it was like, this feeling was uneasy. It was like, don't go, don't do this. And this vision came to me, you're going to get into an accident today. And as he was driving and he wasn't driving fast, but for a snowstorm, it was maybe a little bit quicker than it should have been. Mm -hmm. And we were driving along and we were on this unfamiliar highway and it was just snowing and snowing and snowing. Like there was like foot of snow on like on the highway mm-hmm. and we had never traveled this highway before. And it was like a backcountry highway. It wasn't like a, like a four lane highway. It was just like a two lane highway. Mm-hmm. And we were coming around and I just remember having this really uneasy feeling. And I was like, something is going to happen. I feel it. I feel it's coming. And I just braced myself instinctually I just braced myself and I saw the cliff and I saw the rock cliff and I was like oh shit we are going over the ramp because what ended up happening is the snow acted like a ramp on the guardrail so sure enough he didn't make the corner we were we ended up slipping the vehicle so the vehicle went right over the cliff and we landed on a frozen lake oh my goodness Yeah. And I just remember like my whole body went into, I didn't know if I was alive or not. It was like, it was a bad drop. It was a significant drop. Mm -hmm. I just remember looking around and I thought maybe I wasn't happy. I didn't know. I didn't know what was happening. And I was like, I didn't, you know, I wasn't processing anything. My whole system went into like this, this fight or flight shock system. And I was looking around like, oh my God, like, are you okay? Am I okay? Like, are we okay? Like, are we okay? And someone had driven like at the same time they were driving on the other, like in the other direction, they were heading towards us and they saw us going over the cliff. And he was like, Oh my goodness. Like I was so scared what I was going to drive up on. He's like, I called EMS. I called everyone. He's like, and then this other lady came in, she was a doctor. And this is like a backcountry highway. Like there's not a lot of, like there wasn't a lot of vehicles on the road whatsoever. And she's like, I'm a doctor. Like, is anyone like gushing wounds? Or I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm in shock. She's like, they said, stay in the vehicle. Like, absolutely stay in the vehicle. I'm like, okay, we're staying. I'm like, and then we're hearing crack, crack, crack. We're like, we're on a frozen lake. And we're going through the lake at this point because the momentum of the vehicle was so impactful to the ice that we start, the vehicle starting to go through the lake. And I'm like, oh no, like, we're not staying in here. Like, we're going through the lake. Like, we're panicking a little bit. We couldn't get out because the doors were jarred with the snow around, like, because all the snow that was sitting on the lake. So our doors were were jarred shut. So we're kind of panicking, like, how the heck are we getting out of here? And I just remember, like, my whole, as, like, we were falling, I just remember my whole life flashing before my eyes, like, seeing my children and just feeling all these feelings of, what was truly important in life. And it was none of the superficial things. It wasn't the executive job. It wasn't the fancy car. It wasn't, you know, like the relationship that I think that I should be in. All these things just like, it was like a flash. And it was like, but it felt like forever at the same time. It was so, it was so bizarre. And yeah, we ended up surviving and the police officer was like, he's like, I have no idea. You guys went 50 feet out in 90 foot drop. Like you should have been dead on impact. And he's like, the way that the vehicle was driving, the way you hit the guardrail, you hit it to the left. So technically you should have been crushed on impact. They should have rolled. Mm. And as they were sweeping the vehicle out of like, with this big boom truck out of the lake, we had literally missed a boulder by two millimeters. And if we would have landed, we would have been crushed on, on impact. We would have been dead instantaneously. 
So we were like, whoa. And the only things that weren't like damaged out of thing was me and the driver and my crystal angel. That was the only thing that wasn't damaged out of the entirety of, of the car wreck. Everything else was a write-off. My whole vehicle was a write-off. Wow. Wow. And so the, the car. Enough, and hmm? funny enough, and funny enough, I had a dream ever since I was a little girl, ever since I was little that I would drive over a cliff and, but that there would be like some type of monster there in fresh water. But I always had this reoccurring dream that I was driving over a cliff, driving over a cliff, but it wasn't a frozen lake. It was fresh water. So when it happened, I was like, okay, that's gone. <laughs> that fear is gone, but no, it wasn't really gone. But at that moment, that's what it felt like. So do you like, still have the dream? Nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it hasn't hasn't, hasn't returned. <laughs> and so the car, um, and so the car went into the water, it, the, the ice cracked. So were you getting wet? Were you like actually submerged in the water or were they able it to was get like, you out? It was like the tires were already like seeping through. It was like a slow, slow pro it was like going through all the vehicle was going through all the layers of the ice. Like that's what it felt like. And you could just hear like pow, like when ice cracks, it's like pow, pow, crack, crack. We're like, holy sh, like get out. Like we need to get out. Wow. Wow. And that was the first. That was the first. <laughs> that was the first. So, um, you know, your life is flashing before your eyes. You're in that wild in-between place of like, I don't know if you had this experience of everything being like brilliantly silver. I don't know. Like I, I was in a car accident when, that was one of those pivotal moments in my life. And, but the thing with these moments in my life where it's like, everything is just so heightened. It's like, it's just like, it's like everything sparkles in this way that is so different than anything else. And, um, you know, so you're in that, you're at that moment. And you're realizing like, I need to, you know, you're having the revelations of what matters and what doesn't matter. So what changes did you make? Like what, ha yeah. what happened next? Yeah. From that moment, I was just like, you know what, this is time for inner self-reflection and just have that introspective and that retrospective to see where am I going in my journey? I was called to serve. I know this. I remember this feeling and I still had the feeling like the feeling never went away, even though I tried to suppress it as much as I did. And I just started exploring. I started my own soul self-mastery journey. I, I started the own healing for myself of like the nice girl syndrome and kind of going through everything. Why? And the patterns and the cycles that I kept ending up in the same relationships over and over again with a different name and a different phase. Why was I always rejecting myself to really self-destruction, right? Because that's what it was. It was self-sabotaging behaviors. So for me, it was important to understand that. And I took several certifications for that because the importance not to acquire another certification, but to understand the psyche behind it. I worked with psychologists and neuropsychologists for 13 years. I understand the cortex. I understand the intellectual body, but what is the emotional responses? Why do we act the way that we do? What is our neuro-linguistic programming? And all those things kind of encompass my journey. And I was just I was thirsty for knowledge. I was thirsty to understand everything and I was hungry for it. And I knew that it was time. It was time that I was waking up from my slumber. I was, I was told by being pushed off a cliff that it was time to wake up. And I know that. I know that without a doubt. I do know mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And as I was going through this journey, I did obviously experience three other near-death experiences, which were medical and at that point, that is kind of where I went into a little bit more of the in-depth healing journey. And um, we can talk about that, about the mm -hmm. dream, how I got called to be um, the shaman that I am today. Mm -hmm. Well, and I just, I, the, the imagery of you literally driving off a cliff, I mean, it's like the fool card in the tarot is like literally the fool is standing at the edge of the cliff and making the decision to leap. And it's like, what, a, I mean, it, you didn't just have a metaphor, you were literally thrown off a cliff into this whole new adventure you know and the other thing is with shamanism you know back in the day I mean now it's like people like go and pay x amount of bucks and go take a course in becoming a shaman but it used to be that it was like you had some kind of shamanic breakdown like some kind of severe crisis 
that led you to the point where you became a shamanic practitioner, not just that you decided that it was cool and you read a book and you bought the t-shirt and you went and you took a, you know, a week long seminar. It's, it's, oh. and it's, so it really sounds like you received, you were initiated, you know, you, and you went through like the dismemberment, like all that was familiar was stripped away. And then it sounds like after there was like the logistics of like the being thrown off a cliff, then you're saying three additional near-death experiences where your body was going through this purification and this transformation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And after my last near-death experience, that's when I was called to be a shaman. And I love that you've mentioned this, Jennifer, because it's of such high importance is that healers and shamans and medicine men, medicine women, the energy healers and the energy doctors of our tribal communities. It's not something that is replicable through a certificate or through reading a book. There is ancient wisdom that comes with this. And coming from a lineage of healers, of shamans, is to understand that there is sacredity that happens within these sanctimonial ceremonies. It's not something to be taken lightly. We are working with higher energies. And there's a reason why the knowledge is where it is within the elders of their communities, of their shaman communities. Uh -huh. There is an initiation process and you need to be initiated in order for that validity to happen within the tribal communities in order to be able to offer your gifts to others and to be able to heal others. So we yeah. can put that a little bit further into the journey. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't just put up a shingle and claim to know stuff if you've not really been through the journey and through the process. And, um, you know, there's just, there's just such a difference between, there's a really big difference between having been through it versus, you know, like reading the book, and, you know, getting the t-shirt and everything. Yeah. So, so do you, in terms of the, the health experiences, did this feel like, you know, sort of another nudge from the universe or refining, like, you know, you got the one wake up call. Why did you have to get three more? What was that about? Because I still wasn't living in alignment. So after the first wake up call, I was on the right path. I was on my journey. But I thought that my purpose was to maybe be a coach and just to be a guide not understanding that I needed to bring in the energy healing and those modalities into my work and the importance of it. So when these last three near-death experiences, which were all in synchronicity, really, it was a very scary time. I did die and they did have to bring me back. So it was very- You just scary. answered the question I asked you in my head. <laughs> yeah. so, it was, it was very fearful. I lost a lot of blood. A lot of things had transpired uh, through that. And there was a lot of healing that needed to happen. And that healing needed to happen for me to be able to tap into my feminine energy because I was very calibrated into my masculine energy in a form of protection, of self-protection and protecting myself through my choices throughout my lifetime. So when I had the last near-death experience, I literally had a dream for almost four months straight. And it was of this beautiful indigenous woman. And before I preface the dream, I'm going to say that I am of indigenous culture. So I'm native American with French and it's a culture here that we call a Métis culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I had this dream for almost four months straight and it was this beautiful indigenous woman and she was standing in front of this ravina and there was teepees beside her and she had her arms extended to me and she was chanting me this song. And I remember the song feeling so warm and so like so much of love and so much calmness and stability within it. And the connection to her felt like she was of my maternal grandmother, my maternal great grandmother. And she just kept coming to me every night for almost four months straight. And I was like, what is she trying to tell me? I do dream interpretations. I'm like, what is she trying to tell me? She's, she's showing me the land. She wants me to come to the land. I don't know where this land is. So I ended up bringing this dream to a shaman in our tribal community, our Métis community, who is an elder. And our elders here in our communities, they are the ones that carry the wisdom of the elements, carry the wisdom of the medicines, of our traditions, of our songs. And I was telling him of my dream. And he said, she's calling you to the land. I said, yes. And he said, she's calling you to come and heal. You're meant to be a healer. And I said, I'm meant to be a healer, but what am I doing with this information? What do I do with that? And he's like, it will come to you in vision. It will come to you in dream. 
And I'm like, oh my goodness, like, what do I do with this? Like, what am I doing with this information? And then I was chanting him this song. And before like meeting with him, I was like shazamming the song that she was chanting to me. I was trying to sing it to see if maybe I subconsciously picked it up and, you know, put it into my dream subconsciously, but I couldn't find it anywhere. And I was chanting this song to him and he's like, oh my goodness. He's like, this healing song hasn't been heard in healing circles for over a hundred years. He's like, my grandfather and great grandfather used to chant this to me before bed, but not in a form of healing circle. He's like, it's not the exact rendition. It's almost like she, she tweaked it or like, like, you know, changed the rendition for you, customized it for you. And I said, okay. I'm like, I had goosebumps. I'm like, what am I doing with this? He's like, it will come to you. I was like, oh my goodness. Like, I'm so excited, but I don't know what it means. I don't know what this signifies, but I'm just going to be patient and allow it to come. And I ended up meeting with this incredible spiritual guy just by like fluke. Well, never, never by fluke, but by amazing synchronicity. And I was telling her of my dream. And she said, yeah, like there was no connection between her and this elder. And she said, yeah, she's calling you to the land. And she's calling you to the land to come and heal. You're meant to be a shaman. You're meant to be a healer. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, what am I doing with this at this point? Like, I really don't know what to do here. She's like, it will come to you. So sure enough, I had my final night that I had that dream that she came to me. I woke up and I told my partner, I said, listen, I said, I'm being called to the land to come and heal. And he, he respects everything that I do. He's like, okay, it's pouring rain outside. He's like, okay, but wait, you're going in the pouring rain in the bush, like by yourself with wolves and bears with no protection, even though I feel protected. He's like, no, like I need something for my sanity. So I brought something for his sanity just to be sure, you know, and I was driving in my vehicle and I was listening to this song that I've listened to since I was a little girl. It's like an ancient indigenous song. And I was chanting the song that she was singing to me. And it was like all these emotions that I had suppressed for so many years, the empathic side of me that I had suppressed for so many years was just like releasing like a floodgate. And it was like, I was crying and I was feeling every single emotion that I hadn't allowed myself to express because I didn't think that that was strength, patriarchal strength that we signify as strength. And I was always trying to be strong for my children. But it was like this release of everything, of all the trials and tribulations, of all the loss that I had endured, everything that I had kind of went through traumatically through my physical, my emotional, my intellectual body. And it was like I was reconnecting to my emotions. I was reconnecting to my soul. And it was incredible. It was, it was a massive release. And this drive was like two and a half hour drive. So I'm crying this entire time while listening to the song and chanting the song that she, you know, that she gifted me. And I get to these lands, which are known ancient, you know, indigenous healing grounds. And I'm trekking through, it's about a 15, 20 minute trek in, and I see this beautiful rock. And I was like, I am going to heal here. This is where I'm intended to heal. So I sat on this, on this beautiful rock and I started a smudging ceremony. So for those that may not know, smudging is when in our culture, what we do is we burn like sage, we burn wild tobacco, cedar, pine sweet grass, anything of that nature in order to cleanse our energies and to purify every essence of who we are. And I'm doing this smudging ceremony on this rock. And all of a sudden there's like a deer, a bunny, a chipmunk, a little hummingbird is flying from like tree to tree. I'm like, oh my goodness. It was like, it was like a reconnection to the animal kingdom, a reconnection to the elements of my ancestry. There was water there. The trees were there. The earth was there. Like obviously the wind was there and the fire from the smudging ceremony was there. So it was like, I was encapsulated by all the elements. And it was like this reconnection to my ancestry, this reconnection of who I was. And it was like, it removed this layer of superficialness. I can't even explain what it was. It was like this mass. It's like, it removed the mass. And I was like, this is who I am. This is who I've been searching for. This is how I'm going to serve. And it was like this undeniable feeling of pure knowingness and this feeling of inner peace of that I found myself in alignment and I reconnected to the importance of the intelligence from the ancestry, from the lineage, from the healers. And as I'm doing this ceremony, I'm on this rock for almost four hours and there's trees around this rock and it's pouring rain, still pouring rain. And I'm, Dawns on me, I'm like, 
I'm like, why? I should be soaked right now. So I'm looking up. I'm like, maybe there's an enclosure over the rock. No, there was no enclosure over the rock. For the entirety of the time that I was there, not one single drop of rain hit me the entire time that I was sitting on this rock reconnecting. When I knew, and then I was like, after that moment, I was like, I have just healed myself and in the spiritual component, in the energetics, in every aspect of who I was. And that feeling was so incredible. I was like, okay, I did it for myself, but can I do this for others? Because I can't present this to anyone until I know I can do this for others. So I was like, you know, I went back to my family and friends and like, hey, you want to come on this healing journey with me? And they're like, a healing journey? They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah, just come. They're like, okay, well, we'll do it. And everyone that I brought on the healing journey was never the same after their life had pivoted dramatically after that point. And then in fact, I knew I was a healer. And then there was a massive initiation process within our tribal community to initiate that I was in fact a shaman and that I was approved and given permission to use my gifts. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just really want to acknowledge and honor the fact that you did this in the traditional lineage ways and you did this in a way that really is about you earn it like you earned it you earned it you you've been granted the permission to do this and while i do think that sometimes you know that idea of getting permission to do the things we're naturally gifted to do can end up being kind of a patriarchal egoic thing there's also times where it's about checking, you know, like the checks and balances of a sacred lineage saying, yes, you have done the things you need to do to earn this, to honor this. And, oh, what an amazing thing. I'm curious, did you, you have native ancestry and indigenous heritage. Was your um, family growing up, did they identify with it? Like, how did you find your way to your community? No, so I, we always knew our culture. We always knew our heritage. However, it was something that was very suppressed and unspoken of within the households because if we didn't look of Indigenous or Native American descent, we were never to proclaim that just because of everything that had transpired within Canada with the Indigenous and the Aboriginal and the Native communities where it caused a lot of turmoil and we were stigmatized. A lot of the Native Americans, Native Canadians were very stigmatized against their own nationality. When we talk about reconciliation, we talk about our residential school system, all these children that were found dead. There has been a lot of turmoil between the Canadian government and of the Canadian people against Native Americans as you know, there was depictions and stigmatizations that they were lazy, that they were drunks and all these things, even though they were living off the land. So if we didn't look at that, of that descent, if we didn't look at imminent Native American descent, nobody really was willing to disclose that. People were in fear. They were fearful of their heritage to disclose of what their ancestry was. So I always knew though, my parents always educated me in that sense that we were of Métis culture And I always felt drawn to go to my roots, to understand my traditions, to understand how we use our plant medicines. How do we use our songs? How do we, how do we conduct ceremonies? I was always intrigued by our powwows and I would still attend them. And I just wanted to know more and more and more, but nobody in my family was able to give me that information or that insight because they were all too afraid to explore it or it just, Mm. it was of uninterest to them. I'm not sure. Mm. my extended family. I know my imminent family. I know my mom would have loved to know more about our tradition, but it was something that she never questioned her mother of because it was unspoken of in the, in, in the family household. Yeah. Yeah. So I always had this draw and I was always connected in my roots, but when it actually all occurred, I knew exactly where I needed to go. I knew exactly who I needed to confide to. And I needed, ex- I knew exactly where my tribal community was in that sense. Mm. Mm. When I I really love the fact that you were willing to defer to tribal community that especially being raised in a fa- in a culture that's denying the medicine and is avoiding acknowledging even like like hiding from the truth of oneself you could have so so easily 
gotten sucked into, you know, stayed in that masculine, angular, rational, you know, coachy, you know, like it's all about, it's all up to me to make this thing happen. I love that, that the wisdom within you knew to defer to your elders and to seek that, seek that guidance and really reach out and be in community as opposed to the kind of Western way of doing it, which is like, I've got it all figured out. I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps. And we need community. We need, we do. And that's a false narrative that we don't need community and that we need to do everything on our own. We need to come back to those tribal communities. It doesn't have to look the same. The community is important. We are all interconnected. We all have gifts and abilities that serve and help one another. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. So I'm, I'm just thinking about or wondering, you know, for people without necessarily Indigenous roots, what advice or suggestions would you have in terms of where, if somebody's like, I am misaligned, I am on the wrong path, I'm not making the right choices, where do you, like, where do you start? Yeah, I love this question. And I think this is of high importance is that we can never understand our journey until we take accountability for our choices and that we acknowledge that we have, we have the freedom of choice and the freedom of will, even though, you know, there's so much controversy around that within the conditioning and the program of who we are, but in full essence, we do. So it's about questioning things. What feels in alignment? Is this relationship serving my highest good? Is this career serving my highest good? Are these friendships serving my highest good? Is the love that I'm exuding out into the world and projecting out into the world serving the higher good? And I think when we're able to actually have that honest self-reflection and take accountability for situations and the choices that we've decided for our life, knowing that nothing is by mistake, nothing is by fault, it is by soul contract, and we were intended to learn something from that incredible experience, and it was absolutely necessary. So it's about having compassion and having grace with ourselves that there is no right or wrong, but what feels in alignment with all senses of your being and not just your intellectual being, but your emotional, your physical, your spiritual, your ethereal, your cosmic body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So really what I'm hearing, you know, that the very first step is just really looking at what is aligned and what is not aligned. I think that's the first step for anyone because yeah. we can't we can't change unless we know what we need to change. Right. 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 We can't go in a direction unless we we know what direction we're going into. Either than that, we stay stagnant and we don't move in any direction. I'm just nodding my head here because, you know, and I mean it's so sad the number of times that we do as human beings find ourselves sort of spinning our wheels or stuck because of that, the part of us that in some ways fears saying no, and the part of us that fears admitting what is no longer working for us. Absolutely. And that was a massive struggle for me. And I think it is for most empaths, we hate saying the word no, right? And then a lot of us are conditioned with the nice girl syndrome, be good, be nice, be kind. And all these, like these things that were told and instilled in us and that we want to be, we want to be good. We want to project love. And we, but we also have to understand that we have shadows and we have darker lights and darker parts of us and that they are just as important and they're just equivocally as important. And to understand that we are all made of light and dark and that it's just as important to say no of something that doesn't feel in alignment as it is to say yes to ourselves. If something doesn't feel good in every essence of who you are, it's time to say no, right? We have to be able to have that power and not give everybody else our power in order for them to accept us or in order for them to validate us or in fear that they're going to remove their love from us because love is unconditional when it is true and pure. Yeah. I received a really amazing piece of information today. And it's, it's interesting because 
We are, the day we are recording this episode is on the fall equinox, which is all about the balance between light and dark and like the perfect point of balance. And I'm just noticing this theme that is coming up about the imperative or the importance of really honoring our no. And something that my, my one of my mentors, Joanna Hunter, and I were talking about earlier today was like that when we say yes, when we really want to say no, what we are doing is we are offering a misaligned yes. We're offering actually a contaminated yes. But we are also, not only are we going against our own better judgment or our own, like we're doing a disservice to ourselves, but we are also giving something misaligned to another person so they do not have the ability to get what they need. Because we then act as a placeholder for good enough that doesn't allow them to get what they really were destined for. Because if we don't say no, then basically they sort of, the buck stops with us and they don't keep on their journey and they don't keep on their path. So I, like the realization of like, it is not just, it's like the people pleasing part of us that is unwilling to say no and says yes when we should say no, is actually not doing that other person a service at all we're actually doing the other person as great a disservice as we are doing ourselves. And I was just like, I don't know, like just sort of like at getting it at a whole new level. Why no is so absolutely essential. Absolutely. And I think when yeah. we think of, you know, when we say yes to everything, it's almost self-serving in a sense of our ego, right? Because yeah. we're not able to actually hold that power and to be able to say no. And exactly to what you said, and even in the work that we do, it's important to say yes to the energies that we want to work with and no to the energies that are no, not in alignment because mm -hmm. we, we will do a disservice. And it's not just about, you know, going and doing a favor for someone. It's about what we put out into the world and who we align ourselves with and to ensure that there's energetic connections and that we are intentional of who we work with and what we do with our life. Because our energy is everything and we need to preserve that energy. And when we're emitting resistance as we're doing something that we truly wanted to say no to, that just affects every part of our being, right? Even though we may feel good at the aftermath of it and, you know, oh, they're so happy that I said yes and like they feel good about it afterward. It's exactly to what you said. It's like a false yes, yes. right? Empty yes. They're not getting everything that they need to mm -hmm. be or to be able to move forward in whatever they're trying to accomplish. Right, right, right. So I, it's amazing how fast this conversation has gone by. And I just have to say, it has been so awesome hearing your story because like the telepathic link up, I've just been getting, like I've been, it's like been, this, this interview has been like watching a movie. It's been so delicious just seeing all the images and, and hearing the sounds and like, being, I, even being on a lake with a car going into the lake is just, it's been an absolutely remarkable, you are a wonderful storyteller, Roxanne, just amazing storyteller. So with this last little bit of time, I'm just thinking, you know, like, so obviously, like, you've been through remarkable trials and tribulations, you've been through a lot of wake up calls, and you have said yes, to your destiny to your calling. What does your life look like now? Like, like what is on the other side of all that work? Amazingness. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it's just, our work is never done. We are mm -hmm. going to be working for the evolution of our soul. And that's not just this lifetime. That's mm -hmm. the lifetime to come. Over so, and over. It's just so amazing. But I'm really embracing the laws of nature, the laws of ISIS, and really understanding that we need to trust. And not just say the word trust, but that we truly need to trust, not questioning what, not questioning why, how, when, to fully, fully put ourselves in a state of trust and not in a state of fear or lack or of scarcity. And to understand that when we follow the laws of nature, we understand the reciprocity of what we will receive in return. And that means contending with, you know, the laws of gender and our law of our feminine and our masculine, the laws of polarity, all those things come into play in order for us to have a truly fulfilled life. In my life now, it's like I finally have manifested the partner 
that deserves to spend their lifetime with me as I deserve to spend my lifetime with him in this lifetime, should we Mm. choose to do so. But just the growth that I've experienced and that I'm able to help others, that impact, that feeling of just being that guide and seeing them do all the work that they need to, to be the incredible beings that they are, has been the most beautiful thing to witness. Mm, mm, mm. So as we really are coming to the top of the hour right now, if you had any advice or like guidance, well, that you would offer to the young struggling part, you know, the young struggling person you once were and to, you know, and sort of in, in, and to anybody in the audience who's listening, who is struggling, but like just thinking back to what did you need to hear? before you found your answers believe in yourself believe in yourself and follow your heart follow your instincts follow your intuitiveness they will never mislead you and I think that it's really important to understand is that you hold the power for your life and that every experience here is meant to be experienced if it's there's no good or bad it's indifferent and just enjoy the ride and not to take life so seriously and just love every single moment of it no matter what you're going through because even in our trials and tribulations we are learning growth we are learning wisdom and we are teaching others as they are teaching us so to stay true to your path and stay true to your soul mm. i just had a flash i was thinking to ask you um do you have any regrets about getting in that car like not listening to your intuition that day because I'm just like imagine how different your life would have been if you actually had followed your intuition with that no I have absolutely no regrets throughout my life yeah um, I don't believe in regret I don't believe in being regretful of any decision that we make throughout our life everything is there for intent and intention Mm -hmm. so if I would have never gotten that vehicle I probably still would have been stuck in autopilot for yeah to come or something more catastrophic could have happened or transpired. I never question why it happens to me. I never question when something not so great, you know, that we categorize as not so great happens to me because I believe I learn and I grow from everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, Roxanne, this has been such a delicious conversation. And like you were just such a wonderful, wonderful storyteller. It really has been such an incredible pleasure. So how can people get in touch with you? Absolutely. Anyone can connect with me through my website at www.roxannechaput.com and all of my social media handles are under that name as well. Perfect. And it will also be in the show notes, people. So if you didn't catch that listening, you can come on over to empathicmasteryshow.com and grab the show notes for Roxanne. And again, it is RoxanneChaput.com. Roxanne, thank you so much for being part of this conversation. This has just been delicious, really Mm. wonderful. Thank you, Jennifer, for having me. It's truly an honor, truly. Mm, Such a pleasure. Mm. Thank you, thank you, thank you. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.